We're going to read together from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, and they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, "'Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles.'" And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to your word. And even as we read here about the Apostle Paul preaching your word so many centuries ago, we're reminded that we open the same word. We study together, we're taught by your word, we study your unchanging promises. And we pray, Lord, this morning, as we look at your word, that you would be with us. Your word will just be leaves of paper. Uh, if it is not for the Spirit at work within us, applying your word and, and enlivening our hearts, opening our ears. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, be with us this morning, that you would teach us, that you would sanctify us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I, I start looking at this, I do want to briefly uh, give a word of thanks uh, from my family. I'm so thankful for the way that you've supported us as uh, Nate mentioned earlier, but also the way that you've prayed for us over the last several months. Many of you, uh, maybe most of you will know that we've been in the States for several months as my uh, wife has been undergoing treatment for, uh, for breast cancer. And uh, that was a little bit of a shock. We were already uh, reeling from the pandemic as, as almost every church I know was when uh, just before her 40th birthday, my wife got that diagnosis. And so uh, this has been in many ways, a difficult year, but uh, this past Tuesday, she had her last treatment, and, uh, and she had her last radiation treatment, and everybody tells me and tells her that uh, the next two weeks, she's still going to be seeing the effects of that, but uh, it's, it's amazing what an encouragement that is, and we've, we've known so many friends who uh, have gone through this who, who haven't gotten that cancer-free news that we've gotten, and so we're thankful for that, and we see 
in that and in so many other ways that the Lord has worked in our lives over the last 10 months or so, uh, very explicit answers to prayer. And so we, we probably value and are grateful for the prayers of those who are uh, supporting us more than we've ever been before. And, and so we want, to, we want to be thankful for that. Uh, we're thankful for your prayers for our church as well. Uh, we, even as, as Gina's finishing this treatment, England is just coming out of restrictions that they've had for the better part of the last 18 months. Uh, we have only been able to meet together on Sundays. We've not been able to be in groups of anything larger than six uh, for pretty much 18 months now. And so we've, we've uh, even as I've been here, I am leading our Wednesday night prayer Bible study, a prayer, a prayer meeting and Bible study because we can't gather for that. Uh, my wife is leading our ladies meeting on Tuesday mornings online because we can't gather for that. So just in the next two weeks, we're going to begin to see uh, those things lift. So keep praying for our church, especially as we're not there. And uh, the wonderful thing about that is actually it's opened the door for us to go back without quarantining for two weeks. So we're pleased with that as well. So uh, we're hoping this autumn to return uh, after some more follow-up appointments my, uh, that my wife has. But, but please do continue to pray for us and, and know how grateful we are for you as a church. Uh, I want to look this morning at this passage that we've read in Acts chapter 18 uh, and as I was reading this, many of you will know that there's a story just a couple chapters earlier where uh, Paul is similarly spoken to in a vision. Uh, at that point, he is at a loss as to where he's supposed to go. God has told him to stop. He's uh, waiting to find out where he goes, and the Lord comes to him in a vision and tells him to go across to Macedonia, where he goes and plants the church in Philippi. So this is twice in about three chapters where we see the Lord come and and redirect or refocus Paul in some way, shape, or form in his ministry. And, and as I was getting ready for this, this last week, we, we have a new uh, nine-month-old bloodhound puppy. And uh, she, I would say she's a little puppy, except she's not. Bloodhounds are big dogs. And so she still acts like a puppy, but she's large. And she wants to get out the front door, especially when the children go out the front door. The, the moment that opens... We've got to hold her, or she uh, jets out. And, and she did this on Tuesday. And uh, we had, I think, five of us chasing her down the street, you know, as, as she was running, wanting to see the world. And, and wanting, she had a place to go, but she wasn't certain where it was. And she was, uh, you know, she'd go one direction where she thought she saw something she wanted, and then she'd be scared to another direction. And she kept getting redirected. And finally, she got somewhere where she realized she needed some help. And she was further down the road than I wish she had been when she realized that, but she realized she needed help. And she finally came to us, and we were able to bring her back uh, home. I had run out the door without my shoes on, so, you know, it was uncomfortable, but, but we brought her back. And Paul may not be quite like this puppy, but he is, at times, needing direction as he's ministering in Acts. And the Lord stops him here and, and he, thankfully, is a man who listens to the Lord, and he, he listens to the Lord's guidance, and that's a, the picture we see in chapter 16 and then chapter 18. Uh, but he stops, and he, he hears this direction from the Lord where he might otherwise be ready to shake the dust off his feet and move on. The Lord tells Paul, do not be silent. And, and I want to look at this passage this morning and glean from it several principles to do with missions that we see exhibited in this text. They're, they're 
lessons and instructions that the New Testament gives us, but we see them play out a little bit in this text. But at the center of that, as we look at all of these other principles, there's always this charge that uh, the Lord gives Paul in verse 9, where he says, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack or harm you. And then I love that last phrase. For I have many people in this city, many in this city who are my people. And, uh, and as we look at this, uh, I'm, I might add, I think you're going to see as we look at these principles, that they are principles for missions, but the more I thought about them, they're, they're just principles for ministry. Uh, I, most of the time, until I come back and visit a church that supports us, don't think of myself as a missionary so much as just a local pastor planting a church. And uh, many of the same principles that are actually principles for ministry are really principles for the Christian life. They're principles that all of us put into practice uh, where we are. And so uh, when we're thinking about the mission field, when we're thinking about ministry, when we're thinking about the way that we can minister ourselves in our daily lives, there's some principles for us here. The first principle I want to point out in this text is that missions involves hardship. And I I thought a lot about what word I was going to use there. Uh, Trial, suffering, hardship. I think hardship is maybe the best word to use here. And it's a good place to start with the fact that missions involves hardship because it's all going to go up from here. You know, this is the, this is the lowest point, in a sense, in this, this text. But missions does involve hardship, and we don't want to gloss over this. Missions involves all sorts of hardships, trials, suffering, and difficulty. And like I said, ministry involves these things, and the Christian life involves these things. Uh, some of our hardships are because of things we do. We get ourselves into all sorts of scrapes by our faults and sins on a regular basis, uh, by the way that we speak to people when we shouldn't, the, the way that we look out for our own interests instead of others, the way that we do uh, so many other things. Many of the hardships come because of direct opposition and persecution, like we actually see a little bit in this passage and a lot of them are the struggles and trials of life uh, that uh, God promises to those who are following him. And he uses for many purposes. There's so many passages in Scripture that talk about the ways that he uses in, in, in the struggles and the trials in our lives. I mentioned uh, by way of introduction what uh, we've gone through this last year, and that wasn't something that was as a result of, of some specific sin where we got ourselves into a scrape, and it wasn't something, it is a fruit of sin in the world, and, and my wife's cancer is not something that was a result of direct persecution. It is nonetheless a trial that has uh, faced us as we've been seeking to minister and plant a church that God has used in innumerable ways in our congregation and our own lives to uh, build us up, to draw us more uh, draws closer to him. Hardship is one of those guarantees that Christ gives to all of his followers. And I, I could quote any number of passages where he does this, but he says most clearly maybe in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. He's saying that to the, to the disciples at that moment. But we see in the rest of the scriptures, that's just something that is true for his people. Hardship is one of those guarantees we have And some hardships that we ourselves go through or see others go through might 
seem worse than other hardships, but we need to be really cautious uh, when we come to comparing one person's trial or hardship to another's. Uh, Because God puts trials in our lives for many multitude of purposes at specific times, sometimes when our hearts are in a place where something minor might almost be enough to break us. And God uses those trials to mold us uh, and to work in us in so many different ways. And there are a couple hardships and difficulties that we see in this passage. And maybe we immediately go to Paul and his opposition in the preaching of the gospel. But actually, the first thing we see is Aquila and Priscilla. The whole reason that they are here in Corinth is because they are Christians and the emperor said, we don't want Christians in Rome. So because they're Christians, they've been forced uh, to leave their employment, to leave their home, to leave their friends, their neighbors. Uh, Rome was not as much, uh, it was maybe the first globalized economy, but it was not as much of a globalized economy as we have. It's very likely that they were probably from where they left. And their entire family was there. And all of their friends were there. You know, they set up a tent-making business with Paul, but there's a a good chance that before they had to leave Rome, they had a building. Maybe they had a lease on it. Maybe they owned it. And and it was a place they worked, and they knew where their tools were. They had them set up, and it was organized, and it it was the way that they'd always done their business. And now, all of a sudden, they're having to figure out how to set up work in a foreign city because they're Christians, and Claudius doesn't want them in Rome. And it doesn't seem like they were missionaries before Claudius kicked them out of Rome. And now they're missionaries because Claudius kicked them out of Rome. And, and so uh, they're ministering in a way, we'll, we'll see later in the scriptures, they're, they're teaching Apollos, they're discipling him, they're doing all sorts of things. They're ministering in a way because of this hardship. They would not uh, otherwise have ministered, expelled from their home on account of their faith. And the second, though, is the opposition And not just the opposition, but the revulsion, the text tells us, that the people in the synagogue had for Paul as he ministered. And and that's actually an interesting uh, trial as well, because he's kicked out of the synagogue, but a verse and a half later we learn that the head of the synagogue has come to believe. So it's hard to understand exactly what's happening with that, but uh, he is is kicked out of there. He, He says these very harsh words to his his brothers uh, by way of of ethnicity as he leaves the synagogue and he goes out to preach to the gospel, or preach preach to the Gentiles, rather. And no doubt there are many purposes in both of these experiences of trial that we'll never know. I I just kind of imagined maybe some of what Aquila and Priscilla were going through as they left. We can clearly see the opportunity for them to be in ministry here in this passage. But how many other things did the Lord use this hardship in their lives to accomplish? Uh, you know, we, we know what Paul did in terms of leaving the synagogue, but how, how many things was, was Paul enduring? You know, maybe his sister-in-law was sick. Maybe there was something else that he was going through and God used. We, we don't know what was going on in his life. What we do know is that there are many ways that God may have used this hardship. We only see a handful of them here in Acts 18. But we can see some purpose in this text in both of these. Aquila and Priscilla are redirected from a faithful life in Rome to a fruitful and faithful friendship and ministry and partnership with Paul in Corinth. And it's at the moment when they both need it. They probably need Paul as much as he 
needs them. And as we look at Paul's circumstances, we see something very similar. God uses his rejection to direct him to another path for more fruitful ministry. Hardship doesn't always have the same purposes in our lives that that are found here, but it always has purposes. It's it's always something that the Lord is using uh, in our lives. And we may never know why we experience a trial. There, There are times when you'll experience hardship and you won't know why it came, and maybe you'll never know why it came. But an important thing when we look at this text and we recognize this hardship is that we, first of all, must remind ourselves to expect trials and and not be surprised by them. And second of all, while we might not know why they come, we do know where they come from. We do know who, who governs these things. The Bible makes very clear that our sovereign God ordains everything that comes to pass, and it shows all the way through the Scriptures again and again that His character is displayed and present in everything that he ordains and does. So we read in in Exodus, in Numbers, multiple times in the Psalms, in Joel and Jonah, that God is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is abounding in steadfast love, and, and even that he loves to relent from disaster or judgment. Or, or in Psalm 119, one of my favorite verses, uh, in Psalm 119, verse 68, we're told that God is good and he does good. And so when we begin to look at hardship, these realities about the character of God help us to understand where these trials or hardships are coming from. And and since being called to the mission field, and well before that, uh, my uh, family has gone through all sorts of trial and hardship. Uh, Probably not any more than many of your families, but nonetheless, it's, it's faced us on a regular basis, and we've watched others experience trials, sometimes more frequent and seemingly more difficult than what we've faced. Uh, as I've said, sometimes because of our own sin or others' sins, and sometimes for reasons that don't seem obvious. But in the middle of these, uh, we've always seen that God intends for his people to seek him in his word when they're in hardship. And, and when we do, we grow to know him more. We grow to treasure him more. And then we really can't be silent. We want to help others do the same. And we could spend the whole of our time this morning on suffering because the Bible has a lot to say about it. But, but I, I do want to touch on this at the beginning, and, and then I want to continue to learn some other lessons that we see about missions in this passage. The, the second thing, and it's related a little bit to uh, hardship, is that missions requires perseverance. Now, again, I, I told you these things are true of ministry. They're true of the Christian life, but uh, the life and ministry of Paul is one of perseverance, and this is but one example of that here in Acts 18. But here it's, it's instructive because even in a place, Corinth, uh, where Paul has already persevered, God presses him to continue to persevere even, even longer. So after he's already uh, left the synagogues, been 
been pushed out. He's faced this opposition. He's gone next door to the Gentiles' house and begun preaching the gospel again and, and begun to see fruit. And in fact, some people from the synagogue have now come to the faith. Then at that point, God comes to him and says, keep going. Don't stop. Persevere. It was strange to me as I studied this passage that God's uh, speaking to Paul in the vision doesn't happen at the beginning. It seems like this charge that he gets at the end of the passage should come at the beginning before he, he's dealt with all of this. But it's after he's already persevered that God comes to him and says, continue to persevere. Keep going. Don't, don't stop. And so, so we see this, this picture. And in fact, we know from uh, the books of First and Second Corinthians that Paul continued to persevere with this congregation. And this congregation required a lot of perseverance, maybe more than any other church he ministered to, long after he left Corinth. But Paul was ready to give up, it seems, and the Lord encouraged him to stay. And as I said, this flows out of the last point, that mission involves hardship, because when things are going really well, and you're just really encouraged, and it's wonderful, you don't think of going on as perseverance. It's when things are hard that you think of it as, as perseverance. And so it certainly flows out of that, but we, we also see, interestingly in the Scriptures, that it's, it's the hardship that creates the endurance and perseverance needed to minister and to be involved in missions. Uh, James encourages us right at the beginning of his letter to count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So you want to know how to, uh, how to persevere. <laughs> Certainly if you want to pray to the Lord that he would give you strength to persevere, you're praying for trial because that's what he uses to teach you to persevere. And it's, it's notable here. So, so missions requires perseverance, but the way the Lord develops that perseverance in his people is through trial and hardship. Again, though, and, and I want to make sure that we're doing this to some extent with each of these points, we recognize that just as hardship throws us back on the character of God, perseverance throws us back on the character of God. Because as we, as we've been talking about this morning in, in the whole of the, the liturgy, that we, we want to speak uh, the hope that we have within us. We want to tell others of the gospel. We want to share uh, the good news that we've been given the motivation that God gives Paul for doing this very thing, speaking, not being silent, is that he is with him. And, and that he is not going to leave him. And that no one will attack him or harm him. Now, God doesn't always give us that last part of the promise. Sometimes Christians are attacked and harmed. Paul is given a, a unique blessing here. But the, the first part of the promise is, is something that is always true for all of his people. He is with us. He is always with us. And this ought to be a great comfort for anybody ministering for the Lord because what that means is that as you're being challenged as a Christian, as a minister, as you're praying for your ministers and elders and their perseverance, as you're praying for your missionaries, as you are maybe going out and being missionaries and, and you're at times facing situations where you need to persevere, the Scriptures are telling us over and over again, God is the master of perseverance. He's the one at, at whose feet we sit and learn. 
he has never failed in his perseverance. He has, has never flagged for a moment. He has never needed somebody to charge him to keep going. And he's always there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so our, our perseverance as we grow in sanctification, as we grow to be more like our Savior, is actually the fruit of who God is working itself out in our lives as we're not silent as we speak to others, it's because he spoke to us. As we stand by people who might be hard to stand by at times, it's because he stood by us when we were definitely hard to stand by at times. And it's, it's this theme here again and again. When we see these, these realities of mission, I mean, the, the, the picture of what missions is and what ministry is, going out and proclaiming the gospel and telling people of the hope we have, it's, 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 even that is based on the picture of what God did to us. He left heaven to come to us, to, to come as a man and to, to die for us. And we aren't going and dying for people. We're merely telling them about the one who died, and we can't persevere so often. And ministry and missions involves perseverance, which requires us to pray. God, who always loves us and is always good in hardship, perseveres with us so that we might persevere. And, and we are able to endure because he's with us. That's the thing that gives us strength to persevere. We also see in this text, though, a third thing. And, and I told you it's all up. Each of these points is getting more encouraging and a, a little less heavy. I think you'll see that as missions depends upon partnership. We are participants in a fellowship in the gospel as Christians. Uh, missions, though, particularly, I think in many ways, relies upon partnership. I, I remember many years ago when Nate first moved to Franklin. And, and I, I might have even been before the meetings began here uh, for Cornerstone, but it was around that time we'd, we'd both been serving on a church staff where uh, there were seven or eight ministers and you uh, had a question, you were struggling with something, you just went right next door and then you went to the other side next door and you had somebody to talk it over, you had good friends. And, and he, he was telling me that one of the hardest things about going into uh, a new situation, a smaller situation, is all of a sudden so much of this fellowship that you've had is, is gone. And you're looking for where that fellowship is going to be. You're trying to develop those friendships for the first time. And that's important because the Christian life is a life lived in fellowship and, and in community. And uh, when indeed I went to plant a church, that was one of the things I realized that was hardest. We went into uh, a town where uh, there hadn't been an evangelical church in 40 years and uh, began to plant a church. And the people who were in our church, some of them had been Christians a very long time, had all been driving uh, anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes for church for decades. Uh, and they didn't know how to live in fellowship because they'd always been too far from their churches to have that sort of community. And, and so much of what we were doing as we initially planted with this small core group was actually not reaching out to those who were uh, not in the church yet. We were trying to teach those who were Christians how to live in a church as a part of a community and fellowship. And here, this is a theme of Acts 18, but of all of Paul's missionary ministry and, and of God's people in ministry throughout the Bible. 
Here he gives Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla. A little bit later on in the passage, he brings uh, Silas and Timothy to help from Macedonia. And then he prepares Titius Justice and then Crispus and then others as partners and fellowship for Paul as he is ministering. But this is the same thing Paul speaks of in the letter to the Philippians. It's maybe the most central theme of the book that Paul writes to the Philippians. He's expressing gratitude for their fellowship in the gospel with him. And so he begins the very beginning of the letter to the Philippians by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then if you read through the book of Philippians, looking for things about fellowship, things about partnership, things about help and encouragement and support. You see, it's all the way through the book and, and again and again in all sorts of varied forms. And then he closes the letter at the very end, again, telling them, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you yourselves know that in the beginning when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Or read Philemon and look at the way that he's asking for help or other books where he's constantly asking for support and help and fellowship. Paul knew in a way that we often don't how much he needed fellowship. We so often forget that we need this. We get out in the middle of a place where we're all by ourselves and we feel the weight of being by ourselves, but we forget that we should have been looking for people to go with us all along. But uh, this point particularly, I think, as a, as a missionary, uh, hits home to me in a different way than it did uh, before uh, I went to the mission field when I was living as a, as a Christian here and, and always been in, in larger churches where I've had the blessing of fellowship. And, and I began to read through the Bible and realize that, uh, you know, Moses needed Aaron, and David needed Jonathan, and Elijah needed Elisha, and, and look how Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego depended on one another, and Jesus had the disciples around him, and, and he didn't just have the disciples, but he was constantly going to prayer looking for that fellowship with the Father that he, that he needed. Throughout Paul's epistles, he pleads with the churches for partnership and support in so many different forms. And when you go uh, and and I've mentioned a little bit our circumstance, but I'll tell you, this is true of every one of your missionaries who is serving in, in, a, in a difficult area. Is that they need uh, fellowship and encouragement, and sometimes they know it, and sometimes they don't. Uh, and, and so uh, the, the ways that Paul encourages us to seek this, Paul pleads in almost every letter to churches that they would pray again and again and again. He constantly asks them to pray. And as I said at the beginning, I can tell you from the last year how fruitful and what a blessing the prayers of God's people have been for us. But, but that's something we've seen for many years. Sometimes we haven't recognized how much these things are the fruit of prayer. Paul didn't just need prayer. He worked as a tent maker here to support his ministry. So uh, in the ways that you are financially supporting your missionaries who are in so many different places, I, I would certainly thank you and, and encourage you to continue. Uh, he, 
He works as a tent maker, but he asks churches for financial support at times and, and talks about the way that churches have financially supported him. In other ways, that we, we see uh, him ask churches to send men to aid in his labors or, or women to aid in his labors. And, and I would encourage you that that is something you can do as a church. It may well be that as we're hearing this charge to Paul, uh, you're being reminded that the Lord is calling you from a short-term perspective or a long-term perspective to go and fellowship with those you support. And, and then finally, we see the way that the congregation supports him simply in their displays of love for him. I had a friend several years ago who was raising support, and uh, he, he was doing it, he's a, he's a seminary professor now, he was doing it to study so he could be a seminary professor, and he would... Uh, write these letters to those who were supporting him. And he, he told me one time, I write these letters, and we've got hundreds of people that they go out to, and, and I know some of them are reading them, because later on they'll tell me that they heard something, but I'll write a, an email, I'll put a lot of work into it, or a letter, I'll put a lot of work into it, and I'll send it to these hundreds of people, and I won't get a single response. And, and he said, I know they're listening, I know they're praying because of relationships I have with many of them, but it would feel so good sometimes just to get an encouraging response. And, and so sometimes the simplest ways we can express fellowship and, and love to others is merely being on their email lists and then intentionally sending a response. Some of the things like that that are the partnership in the gospel are, are incredibly uh, blessing to those who receive them. There's so many ways we can be involved in the partnership uh, that is a part of missions. The last thing I want us to see in this text uh, is that missions is charged and empowered by God. Uh, it's something that God charges us to do, and it's something He empowers us to do. And this is tied to this last one. The fellowship and encouragement that we have uh, is a fruit of the, the character of God as well. It's something he gives us in, in his fellowship with us. We seek fellowship and partnership with one another, but we need fellowship and partnership with him first and foremost. Now this, especially when we're reading about God coming to Paul at a vision, may seem an obvious point to make that missions is charged and empowered by God, but it's a necessary point to make. We've been looking at God's character He's gracious. He's merciful. His steadfast love abounds for, for, uh, forever. He relents from judgment. And his character, as I've said, is the font of the work of ministry and missions and of the Christian life throughout the Scriptures. We've, we've got to remember what it is we're doing as Christians when we tell others about the gospel. The Lord calls sinners, those who are his enemies by choice, reconciling us to himself, not because there's anything in us that we can give to him or that he benefits from or that he needs, but because he is a loving and gracious and merciful God who, who's abounding in love. And he's a, he's a God who has created a people to enter into a covenant relationship of, of fellowship and, and love with them. And he, he sent his own son to accomplish this reconciliation at, at an immense cost that we cannot fathom. 
And in grace and in mercy and in love, he sends his people to witness to the testimony of this love and grace that we've received, the mercy that we've received. And the prophet Jonah shows us this so well. Jonah was a maybe the most reluctant ministry, missionary, certainly in the scriptures, but I've, that I've ever known. I've never known anybody who went to the mission field as opposed to the idea as, as Jonah was. Uh, he didn't go willingly. He didn't go cheerfully. And we finally learn why, if we're reading through Jonah, when we get to chapter 4. He finally tells us why. At the end of Jonah chapter 3, after preaching the gospel, the Ninevites all uh, repent They turn from their sin, and God relents from judgment. And the next verse, Jonah tells us, or Jonah 4 tells us, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And that that ought to just be a really shocking statement, because I don't know a missionary who would respond that way to an entire city repenting and uh, believing. But but it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to to the Lord, to Yahweh, and said, Yahweh, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What a great picture. Jonah knew God's character absolutely. He He believed absolutely that God always acted in accordance with his character. He he believed God was going to do this. The problem was that Jonah had the wrong result in his own life. He did not have a heart that imitated the heart of God. He hated the Ninevites when God loved them. He wanted the Ninevites to die when God wanted them to repent. He didn't want them to receive God's grace or mercy, which... Honestly, we have to ask the question as we read Jonah, had had he received God's grace and mercy in a way that he comprehended it? Who knows what slight, real, or imagined had angered Jonah at the Ninevites so much that he looks at them in this way. But we can be assured that the Ninevites had never wronged Jonah nearly as much as they wronged the Lord. And the Lord relented from disaster. And God gives this charge to Paul here that we would do well to listen to. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. And then he says, I have many people in this city, Corinth, who are my people. Now, we we may not always receive so specific an instruction from God. So I uh, live in Allerwash, a little uh, we have different names for the sizes of places that you live in England than we do here, but it's, it's a hamlet, technically. And I live in a little hamlet of Allerwash, and there are not many people there, and God has never come to me and said, I have people in Allerwash, so keep preaching. I, I don't know whether there will ever be a fruit of repentance in Allerwash uh, where I will see um, People come to the Lord. I hope that there are. I pray for this. But, but in Hexham and in the larger area, we, we have seen this fruit. So we may not receive so specific a direction as Paul does here, but we have the same call and the same promise 
God is charging us, his church, he has charged us, his church, to go and to make disciples. It's been explicit. He tells us that this is his purpose for the nations. As he sanctifies us and makes us more like him, we would go. He has all authority and he's given it to us to go and make disciples. And he tells us, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know until he decides to take us home, there's still somebody here. Until Jesus returns, there's still people who need to hear. We need to endure hardship, persevere, support and encourage one another, build one another up, pray and act in reliance on God's promises that he will never change and that he will bring sinners to repentance. So how can we do that? Well, a few very brief applications. Remember your missionaries and ministers are often, if not always, uh, dealing with all sorts of trials. Some of them you will know. Uh, You know that your minister did not go to seminary this last year to figure out how, or I mean, did not, this last year you have known that your minister did not go to seminary to learn how to live stream. And so as he was trying to figure out some of these things, you, you probably could imagine that that was a little bit of a trial that he was not necessarily prepared for or uh, ready for. Some, some of our trials we face, we expect. I never expected when I was in seminary to lead Bible studies over Zoom with people on another continent. Uh, it, it surprised me that that was something that I had to get ready for. But many of the trials that your elders and your ministers and your missionaries will go through, you'll never be able to, to know the details of because they're, they're private, they're pastoral, they're things that they're dealing with. So be a support, pray first, but also encourage them. Seek to be a church member who is an encouragement to each of your elders. Look for ways that you can be encouragements to your fellow believers. Be Barnabases who are, who are encouraging. Uh, second, uh, as I say, pray specifically. Also, be partners in the Gospels to your minister and especially to your missionaries. We, too often in the church, think of these as the people that we pay or hire to do the work of ministry for us. And, and that's not all of us, I know. And, and in many churches, there's a wonderful uh, community where we're encouraging one another and, and living as partners in the gospel. But all of us can grow in this. Wherever we are on that spectrum, we can grow in our partnering in the gospel with our missionaries, but just with our deacons and elders in our church, with our other families in the church, partners in the gospel we need to be. Don't simply send them support so they can do the work of ministry or pay your ministry so the ministers so they can do the work, but take part. Take the part that you play in missions seriously. And then I don't think that we as missionaries, and I've already touched on this, but I still don't think that we often plead with our supporters for prayer in the quite, quite the way we see Paul doing it, which is why I keep bringing it up. Because that's what Paul does. He keeps bringing it up again and again and again. Pray for us. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your ministers. Pray for your missionaries. If Paul needed those prayers, then your ministers and missionaries certainly need your prayers. Take seriously your prayer for your missionaries, knowing that God's going to answer those prayers. He's shown this this relationship that we have as a church with those who minister to us and minister for us on the mission field. He's shown us this relationship that that we have a charge to pray for them. 
And as we, char- as we pray for them, we need to expect that when God tells us, pray for this person, when we do it, there's going to be fruit of those prayers. This is one of the easiest things we can see in the Scripture. He tells us to do it. We're definitely praying in accordance with His will when we pray for our ministers and missionaries and those who lead us. He will sanctify them, He'll sustain them, strengthen them, encourage them. But don't just pray, also develop friendships with your uh, missionaries. And I I say this uh, recognizing that this church uh, and many in this church have developed friendships with us and have worked to develop friendships with us. So this is something I've seen you do. I'm sure that other missionaries have seen you do. Uh, Nonetheless, keep working at this. Some will respond to your efforts more than others. Uh, Some you will connect with more than others, but seek to cultivate supportive friendships it will benefit you as well as them. And then finally, consider whether the Lord might not be using your hardships, the perseverance that he's developing in your life, the, the trials that he's taking you through, the partnership and friendships that you're even now developing to prepare you to go. Maybe to go into your neighborhood, maybe to go into a neighboring state, or uh, maybe to go overseas somewhere and minister the gospel. Uh, Maybe across the world, but it's definite that God is using those things he's doing in your lives here because he says, do not be silent. Uh, Give uh, a defense for the hope that is within you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word and your charge to us. And And in many ways, these charges may be an encouragement in things that we're already doing, but sometimes, Lord, they can be also a a reminder of areas where we've lapsed or where we've not made a real effort. We pray, Lord, that you would, even as we've been saying again and again as we worship this morning, give us a desire to speak of the way that your loving and gracious character has affected us to others and the hope that there is for them and your loving and merciful and gracious character. Give us a desire uh, such that we can't close our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.